Take your Bibles, would you please, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're journeying through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, coming to chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. With your Bibles at hand, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy word? The Apostle Paul speaking, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. May God's blessings be upon the reading of the Scriptures. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. And Father, we are so grateful for the church. And we're thankful for the that you have given us an opportunity to be a part of the church. And we pray that today, that we'll get an insight of the church like we have never seen before. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts, work in our lives, challenge us, convict us, and encourage us for your glory and for your honor. Anoint us, fill us with your Spirit, and may the Christ that we serve will be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I speak about the church, I'm always encouraged because there are so many different understandings of what the church is all about, and yet the Bible is very clear what the church should be all about. There's been a lot of misconceptions about the church. I was uh, hearing about this one particular church. And they were without a pastor. And they were receiving uh, resumes for their position of their new pastor. And there was a letter that was written to the search committee. And it was by a potential candidate. And he was putting his resume in. And he was writing a letter to follow up on that. I have that letter. I'd like to you to listen to that letter. It says, gentlemen, I understand that you need a preacher. I would like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications that I think you would appreciate. I have been blessed to preach with power and have some success as a writer. Some say that I am a good organizer. 
I have been a leader in most places where I have gone. Some folks, however, have some things against me. I am over 50 years of age. I've never preached in one place for more than three years at a time. In some places, I have left town after my work caused by riots and disturbances. I have to admit that I have been in jail three or four times, but not because of any wrongdoings. My health is not too good, though I still get a good deal done. I have to work at my trade to help pay my way and pay for my wages. The churches I have preached have been rather small, though located in several large cities. I have not gotten along too well with religious leaders in different towns where I have preached, and I am sure that they will not recommend me. In fact, some of them have threatened me, taken me to court, and even attacked me physically. I'm not too good at keeping records. I have been known even to forget whom I have baptized. However, if you can use me, I shall do my best for you, even if I work, have to work to help to support my way at this time. Well, the search committee got this letter. They got to thinking, well, who in the world would send such a letter like this? Why, we wouldn't dare consider a candidate like that. And then one of the search members said, uh, by the way, who wrote that letter? Who sent that resume? And it was signed, the Apostle Paul. I'm telling you, churches have different misconceptions about what the church is all about. I'm reminded of what Jesus said one time as he was talking to Simon Peter. And as he was talking to Simon Peter, he made reference of the church. And listen to what he said. He says, and I say unto you that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And then he says something that blesses my heart. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can say all kinds of things about the church. But my friend, there's one thing. That when God begins to build a church, he builds it his way and he promises to protect it for all eternity. In response to that, Jesus said to Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said those famous words, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon Peter was right on target, was he not? Jesus said, because of faith like yours, and because of who I am, I am going to build my church. Now, did you notice what he said? I'm going to build my church. 
He didn't say he's going to build our church. And he didn't say that we were going to build his church. But he said that I will build my church. Jesus is in the business of building his church. Did you realize that? Now, when I think of the church, I'm not talking about just the local body of believers here at Kinsville Baptist Church. But I'm talking about the church body. Every born again child of God that has been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been born into his family has become what is known as being a part of the body of Christ. So therefore, Jesus is the head of the church, is he not? He's not only the head of the church, he is the heart of the church. And not only the heart of the church, but he says that we are the hands of the church. Coming alongside him, joining together to lift up the banner of Christ, bringing people into the body of Christ. He wants his church to glorify him. You go back in to look at chapter 3, verse 21, and chapter 4, verse 1. This gives us the recipe of how God's body, God's church glorifies him. Listen to what he says. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. So, I titled my message today, What Kind of Church Would Jesus Pastor? I think that's a good question. And I think you would find here in this passage of Scripture that he would lay out before us the kind of church that he would want to pastor and the kind of church that he would want Kimsville Baptist Church to be. And there's two Dynamic truths that I believe that he brings out to our attention. First of all, you go begin to look at these passages of scriptures in verse 1, that Jesus requires what I believe is known as a special behavior. Jesus requires his church to have a special behavior. Look what he says there in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Now, notice what he says. To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In these next six verses of scriptures, Jesus lays out before us three dynamic qualities that he looks for a church. Quality number one is the quality of holiness. And you see that so clear found in verse 1. That I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that the Lord, will that you should walk worthy of the calling which you were called. If you're saved, and I trust that vast majority of the people that are here today have come to an understanding of what being saved is all about that you've come to an understanding that you were lost, 
you come to an understanding that Jesus Christ died upon a cross for your sins, and you've come to an understanding that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way of repentance and by faith, you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Now, I want you to understand, as we've looked back earlier in the book of Ephesians, that that was not by accident, but that you have been called to salvation. God has called you. He's called every single one of us that we might come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. But I want you to understand, that's not only a special calling to be saved, but he has said you also have a calling that you're to act like you're saved. Holiness. Now, the problem with so many churches today is is that the world has seeped into our churches. And instead of the church influencing the world, the world has influenced the church. And we have lost that, what is known as being a holy men and women of God. Peculiar people, the Bible says. The Bible reminds us of how we are to be holy. I remember hearing about a Chinese guy that who was saved and he came to America. And he was observing Christians in many of our churches today. And someone asked, said, what's your opinion about the local church today? He made this statement. He said, there's too much talky-talky and not enough walky-walky. And that, I believe, that is so true. We talk a big game, but yet do we walk the line of holiness and righteousness The Bible reminds us that we're to be holy people. The Bible says you're to be the light of the world. The Bible reminds us that you're to bear spiritual fruit. The Bible reminds us that you're to be the salt that flavors. The Bible reminds us that we're to be Christians that are soldiers of the cross that will stand for the things of God. As I think about being different, we're to walk different, we're to act different, we're to look different. We are to be able to to be people that when people see us, they would say there's something different about that person called holiness. You don't hear a lot preached about holiness today. But I believe that that is the number one characteristic that God wants within the local body of the church is that we are to be holy people. Jesus said, or the Bible tells us, that we're to be holy because He is holy. He is holy. The number one characteristics, attributes of God in the Bible is not love as much as many people would like to think that it is, that God is a God of love. Of course, He is. But the number one characteristic and attribute of God, my friend, is holy. The Bible reminds us that when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord and the angels were singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. 
holy. My friend, I believe with all my heart that when we come in to this sanctuary today, we're standing and we're sitting on holy ground. Amen? But not only that, we're to leave this church walking in the light of holiness. But he goes a step further. He says, not only there will be the characteristic of holiness, but there will also be the characteristic in my church of humility. Look what he says there in verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. I believe one of the great needs in our, our local churches today is not only that spirit of holiness, but also the spirit of humility. It amazes me. Among Christians especially, we get a little bit of head knowledge of the scriptures that it goes to our head that we began to strut around like peacocks. That we are super duper spiritual people. And to look at me, I am one of God's favorites. Well, I know some people that can strut sitting down, don't you? I know some preachers today that have so much pride that they'll sign their own Bibles when they get through preaching. (laughs) Humility. And he breaks it down here before us today. He says here that all lowliness, meaning not to be puffed up, the best definition in the Bible for humility is found in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. I want you to listen to this. Let nothing be done through strife of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. If you don't have that marked in your Bible, you ought to go to your Bibles right now and mark that in your Bible. Let that be a life verse. A life verse stating that my ambition is to exalt others and to place myself in a lower place. The opposite of humility, of course, is pride. One man said, humility is when you think of everybody else as giants and you think of yourself as a midget. My friend, I want you to understand that God's saying that we need within our church lowliness. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us that one of God's, one of the sins that God hates the most is pride. And my friend, I want you to understand, if it wasn't for the grace of God, every single one of us would be bound for an eternal hell. By His grace, we are saved, the Bible says. And so you need to be careful when you get spiritual puffed up. But secondly, 
he talks about gentleness. You see that word gentleness or meekness. This refers to a horse that has been broken from his ways. That the master has come and has mastered that horse and has controlled that horse. You know what a lot of churches needs today? They need brokenness. They need brokenness. And I believe that's exactly what God's doing in a lot of churches today. It's because of their pride, because of their lack of holiness, that God begins to come and He begins to break them and break individuals. God certainly cannot bless churches or bless individuals that are of not of meekness and gentleness. A meek person is not one that stands up for his rights. He's one that stands up for what is right. And so therefore, I think of Abraham and Lot. And you go back into the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 13. And you'll find that Abraham and Lot, that they came in conflict with one another. And they were come in conflict over the land that they had. They were bumping into one another. Now, Abraham could have pulled rank, and he could have told Lot, I take the high road and you take the low road. But you know what Abraham did? And this is why one of the reasons the Bible says that Abraham was one of the meekest men that ever walked the face of the earth. He looked at Lot, and he says, if you take the high road, I'll take the low. Whatever you choose, I'll take what's left. And my friend, I want you to understand, what gets us in trouble a lot of times is because of our own stinking, rotten pride. Meekness, the Bible says. Treating one another with gentleness, the Bible says. But there's another characteristic of humility, not only lowliness and gentleness, but of long-suffering, the Bible says there in verse 2. Theodore Roosevelt says, walk softly and carry a big stick. Well, the Bible says, walk softly and don't even carry a stick. My friend, there's three things that absolutely scare me to death. A cantankerous woman, a carnal deacon, and a church fight. And I've met all three. But they scare me to death. Because I don't know of anything that will destroy the local body of the, of the church any more than one of these three. I've heard people say, I love you in spite of your faults. I've got a new thought. You ought to love me because of my faults. Because if I didn't have my faults, you couldn't stand me, my friend. I'd be so spiritually puffed up by looking at me that I am so perfect. Someone said this, to dwell there above with those we love, won't that be heaven's glory? But to live here below with those we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) 
But then he goes on in verse 2, bearing with one another. You see that verse? Bearing one another. In, in the Greek language, it's one word, forbearance. Outworking of long-suffering. The word means to bear up. In other words, it means to put up with. Do some of you wives feel like that you just have to put up with your husband sometimes? Or husbands, do you feel like you have to just put up with your wives sometimes? That's a part of our relationship sometimes. There's sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances and situations and as we're communicating with someone that we don't like, sometimes we just have to put up with them. It's a part of humility as the Bible talks. And then, of course, in verse 5, he says to love, to love one another with a fervent love, and as Peter says in chapter 4, verse 8. Oh, that kind of just brings it all together that we are to love one another as ourselves. So, the Apostle Paul has brought out to our attention the type of church that Jesus would be honored and be glorified. Number one, it's through holiness. Number two, it's through humility. But number three, through harmony. Look what the Bible says in verse three. Endeavoring, in other words, working, doing everything in your, in your own ability to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. I believe with all my heart that, that Satan himself, instead of rather getting the church fall into sin, he had rather get the church fall into a fight any day. Bring conflict within the church, fighting among among each other. This is what the scriptures is teaching. Is is that we are to get along with one another. The Bible talks about that unity is not God's responsibility. That is our responsibility. That we are to work along with one another and love with one another. But the, love, but the devil would love for you to pick up something for you to dislike and to criticize and to grumble and to complain and to gather together troops to divide the local congregation. How many times have we seen this to happen in, in churches today? That will divide the local congregation because of discord and because of disharmony within the church. Well, the Bible says that one of the things that brings great honor and great pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ himself is unity, unity. Back in 1990, you remember it well, I'm sure, when the United States went and began to become a part of the Persian Gulf War. One of the great success stories 
of all the battles that was taking place down through the history. For two months, January and February, very few casualties. But do you know what came out of that that was heartbreaking? Not, of course, the victories that we won during the Persian Gulf, but what was known as friendly fire. Friendly fire, what is that? That is when your own troops are being hit by the ammunition by your own people. Certainly by mistake. You can't be on guard for something like that. And yet, there were many that had died during the Persian Gulf because of friendly fire. My friend, I want you to understand that's what happens in the local churches today. That is what is known as friendly fire. If we're not careful, we hurt one another and kill one another's reputation and destroy one another's testimony. Hurting our own people. I was uh, watching TV not too long ago, and uh, on this TV program, it showed about this family of how they would go into these large buildings and they would construct a way to be able to uh, exercise demolition upon those buildings. And they knew exactly the right spots to where to put those uh, uh, pieces of dynamite. And then they made a statement that I thought, boy, could that be said about the church. And let me read you what that statement says. It says, when the inner structure is destroyed, the outer structure will always crumble to the ground. Wow. When the inner structure is destroyed, the outer structure always comes tumbling down to the ground. So therefore, my friend, humility, holiness, harmony. But there's a second thing that the Lord Jesus brings out to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And that is exactly that. Jesus not only requires a special behavior, but Jesus requires what I believe known as a sacred belief. There in verses 4, 5, and 6, he lists seven fundamental beliefs that we're to exercise and demonstrate within our church today. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but if you believe in these seven fundamentals, you know what you are? You are fundamentalists. I'm a fundamentalist, and I'm proud of it, my friend. I believe in the fundamental truths of the Word of God. And he lays them out before us in a very dynamic, specific way. Look, let's look at them very quickly. First of all, he says there in verse, verse uh, 4, there is one body. Now, of course, he's referring to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody says, do you believe all Baptists are going to heaven? I don't believe all Baptists are going to heaven. 
Just like I don't believe all Methodists, I don't believe all Presbyterians, I don't believe all Catholics, I don't believe all of them are going to heaven, but I do believe all that's in the part of the body of Christ are going to heaven. And this is what he's talking about, that I am one body. I am a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm proud to be a Baptist. I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. But I am a Baptist because of by the way that I have been brought up and I believe within my heart that it is the one of the closest denominations to the Word of God. But my friend, I want you to understand, if I bank myself getting into heaven by being a Baptist, my friend, I'd miss it a thousand miles. But that I am born again into the body of Christ. Now, you think about it for a moment. It doesn't matter whether you're a fair-skinned Jew like the Apostle Paul or that you are dark-skinned Ethiopian like Philip baptized. It doesn't matter whether you red, yellow, black, and white. You are all precious in his sight. And that we're all part of the body of Christ. But he goes a step further. Now, not only there is one body, but he says there's one spirit. See there in verse 4? Now, there's all kinds of spirits. But there's only one Holy Spirit. Only one Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of peace. He's the spirit of regeneration. He is the spirit that comes and magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that places you into the body of Christ. He's the one that gives you peace. He's the one that functions through you that you might be able to express yourself spiritually. He is the Holy Spirit. And my friend, I want you to understand, we here at Kinsville Baptist Church better understand this. The Holy Spirit doesn't need us, but we sure do need Him. We need His presence. We welcome Him in our presence today. And that's through the Holy Spirit of God that draws men to the saving knowledge of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God, as the Bible reminds us in the book of Ephesians, seals us until the day of redemption. One body, one spirit. And then he goes a step further and he says there is one hope. One hope. Of course, he's speaking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of what the scripture says in Titus, chapter 2, verses 3. Verse 3. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. My friend, I am so grateful to know that this world is not my home. And I'm grateful to know that there is a Savior is coming back for His bride. And one of these days, and it could be today, to come back and to rapture His church. Oh, what a blessed hope. 
That is a, a dynamic doctrine that we hold firm to today. But then he goes a step farther and he says, and one Lord. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that he's got seven uh, ones and that one Lord is right in the middle of the seven. Our Lord, verse 5. There's only one Lord, and the Bible says His name is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that when you see Jesus, you're looking at the full radiance of a holy God Himself. So when you see Jesus, you see God because He is God. He displays all the characteristics uh, of the holy God that we serve today. Now that one Lord, that phrase got the early Christians in trouble. Back in the early days, many of the Christians were were tortured and beaten because they stood firm on one Lord. The Romans, that when they would go and they would uh, take over a civilization, they would put up a building called Pantheon. Pantheon literally means pan, which means... Uh, All and Theon means gods. In other words, there were many gods. And people could come and put up their relics and the names of their gods upon the wall of this building. And they would be represented as one of many gods. But the Christians wouldn't do that. Because there was one Lord. And only one Lord. My friend, I want you to understand, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A relationship. You can take all the religions in the world, my friend, and not one, you will not be able to get one into the kingdom of God by those religions. So we're not talking about a religion. We're talking about a Lord. He is one Lord. And then the Bible goes a step further, and it says one faith. One faith there in verse 5. He's not talking about a certain kind of faith, a faith that you have in something, but he's talking about the faith, the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He is talking about God's revealed Word, the one Word of God. The only one word from God that is found in the precious pages of this book. The most important question that you're to ask any God, does he talk to you? Can he hear you? Can he uh, relate to you? Well, not just any God can do that. There's just one God that can do that, and He is the only God. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, what good is a God if He can't talk to you? What good is a God if He can't comfort you? What good is a God if He can't direct you? What good is a God if He can't give you a aspect of life? Oh, my friend, I want you to understand... I have a God that who loves me and he talks to me through his book. And he shares with me that he loves me and he has a plan for my life. 
and that He watches over me and He protects me. He tells me my future. He tells me my past. He tells me my present. But He tells me my future. And so the Bible reminds us that this is one faith. The Word of God. That's why I'm so thankful to see that we Southern Baptists have come to a realization that this Bible is without error because He is perfect. His Word is perfect. And so therefore, we have one faith. And then he says in verse 5, one baptism. One baptism. Now, he's not talking about baptism by immersion. Of course, I believe in that. He's not talking about someone that comes forward and we baptize them in the um, baptistry. Of course, the Bible speaks of that. And that is a major ordinance of our church. But what he's talking about, one Baptist, he's talking about being baptized into the body of Christ. At the moment of the new birth, that the Holy Spirit of God takes you and he places you into the body. He baptizes you into the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Baptized into one body. And then in verse 6, one God. One God. There are people who say that, Oh, I believe that there is one God. Just that that one God has many names. To the Muslim, his name is Allah. To the Jew, his name is Jehovah. To the Buddhist, his name is Buddha. To the Christian, his name is God. My friend, I want you to understand this God we're talking about is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the God of creation. And the one that who, before the foundations of this earth was planned, he had a goal that every man, woman, boy, and girl would come to know him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One God. Only one God. I don't believe in this universal brotherhood. I don't believe that. I hear people say, well, we all serve the same God and we're all going to the same place. And uh, My friend, that's, that's a bunch of hogwash. Because not everybody's serving the same God. And not everybody's going to the same place. People say, well... We serve the God of creation. Well, my friend, I want you to understand, we do serve a God of creation, but uh, just because he's the God of creation does not necessarily mean that I know him personally. Well, God created us all, and so therefore, we all are going to heaven. My friend, God created cats and dogs also. Does that mean that we're going to heaven because of that? Absolutely not. The Bible reminds us 
we serve one God. Think about that. The foundation of the church. One faith. One baptism. One God. One Lord. Think about this. That this is so fundamental to the body of Christ. And when we ever get away from that, my friend, you will find the Holy Spirit grieving. That we have become nothing more than a religious country club. Failing to exalt the Christ that we serve. Everybody remembers 9-11. There was a lady by the name of Ezel Guzman. Ezel Guzman was on the 64th floor of one of the towers when it began to collapse. And as it was being collapsed, she found herself in that crushing, terrible fall of that concrete of those buildings. Miraculously. There was a timber or a beam that was shielded her head. There was a large piece of uh, mortar had fallen on one of her legs and she was trapped. It was dark and it was very, very scary. She felt like she had come to a point and a place of where she was about to die. And that she probably would die. But just so happened, about two months before this experience happened, someone had invited her to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And as she came to church that day, something miraculously happened. The Holy Spirit of God got a hold of her heart. And she walked down and she took the pastor's hand and told the pastor that she was lost and that she needed Christ as her Savior. Miraculously, she was saved. Now she's in this predicament. She said... She had prayed like she had never prayed before. Well, she looked at her watch and the hour began to clock tick by after hour after hour after hour. Not knowing that there was rescue workers not far from the scene. She prayed that God would rescue her and once again save her. Not only that she'd been saved spiritually, but now be saved physically. 11 o'clock the next morning, she heard somebody say, Is there anybody in there? And she screamed out, Please help me. 
And they began to follow the sound of that voice and they began to take that rubble away and rescued her. There in her hospital, she says, I've been saved twice. I was saved spiritually for uh, two months ago. I was saved physically today. Oh, how much God loves me. And I must go and tell the world that he wants to save them as well. Mankind is a lot like her under the rubbish of sin. Wondering if there's any hope. Wondering if there's any way out of this old terrible world that we live in. We're like the firemen. Rushing in. Is there anybody in there? And oh, we need to give them the message of hope. A message that Jesus is here to save. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bless you today. We honor you. We praise you. Thank you, dear Lord, for your church. And allowing us to be a part of that body. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to take these seven pillars, the fundamentals of the faith, and to place them as our foundation and our rock of the Lord Jesus Christ as we build upon today. But Lord... As I think about this lady, that particular Sunday, she walked in the doors of that church, didn't know what was going to take place, but the Holy Spirit of God reached down and touched her. And by childlike faith, she responded, born into the body, into the family of God, And gave her that blessed hope, that spiritual knowledge that Jesus Christ is here to save. Lord, I believe there might be someone here today just like that. They walked into the doors of this church. And they are wondering, is there any hope in the world that I live in today? Oh, the message of the church that Jesus saves. And that is our message today. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God may take that individual and bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, there may be someone here today that have done that, but they've never been baptized. Oh, what a privilege to follow you in baptism, certainly identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ with his death, burial, and resurrection. There may be someone here today saying, yes, I have done that and I need to be a part of the local church and I want to come and join and be a part of that church. May the Spirit of the Lord move as only he can. For we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.